you'd like to read with me, I'll be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which is the first began, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by us by those who have heard him? God also bearing witness both with sign and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to whom, according to His own will. Well, it's good to see each of you this morning. See our friends from, from Ohio snuck in here on me. You get to see them. Glad that, glad that they're here with us today. Nicole and Cameron are not with us. They left uh, Thursday about 10 or so. Uh, went out of town for a little while. They left and Blakeland looked at me and said, Well, we're on our own. I said, Well, we are. Last night I needed to have a shirt washed and so I got the shirt and was trying to uh, do that and Blakeland said, hey, let the experts handle this. And so I just handed her the shirt and she took care of it for me. So she's taken good care of me since uh, since uh, her mother and her sister have been gone. Thankfully they'll be back tonight, the Lord willing. Let me read a poem to you. Sometimes when nothing goes just right and worry reigns supreme, when heartache fills the eyes with mist and all things useless seem, There's just one thing can drive away the tears that scald and blind someone to slip a strong arm round and whisper, never mind. No one has ever told just why those words such comfort bring, nor why the whisper makes our cares depart on hurried wing. Yet troubles say a quick goodbye, we leave them far behind when someone slips an arm around and whispers, never mind. But love must prompt that soft caress, that love must I be true, or at that tender clinging touch, no heart ease come to you. But if the arm be moved by love, sweet comfort you will find, when someone slips an arm around and whispers, never mind. As we live this life, there are going to be times that we encounter that we wish were not what they were. And because of that, the the writer of Hebrews has encouraged us to remember Jesus' promise. Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And it was Paul who reminded Timothy, in essence he said, at my first defense, at my first trial, no man stood by me but only the Lord, 2 Timothy four sixteen. And then of course we know on another occasion, recorded for us Acts twenty three eleven that the Lord appeared to Paul in such a time as that, and he said, be of good cheer. Well, what was it about the situation that could make Paul possibly be of good cheer? After all, we don't know exactly what that situation was, but we know that it was one of those things where he had been suffering, and he listed those for us in 1 Corinthians. It may have been the time when he was thrown to the animals, or thrown to the beasts, 
and the Lord protected him, he said, be of good cheer. It was as if the Lord was putting His arm around Paul and saying, never mind, I'm going to take care of things. Don't you worry about it. You remain faithful and I'll take care of the rest. And that didn't mean that Paul would never lose his life in, a, in the way a martyr would because that's what happened to him. We learn, or at least secular writings tell us that Paul lost his life at the sword, or by the sword, under the emperor Nero of Rome. But God placed his arm around Paul and said, Never mind, take care, be of good cheer, and never drift away. That's the title of the sermon this morning, Don't Drift Away. The book of Hebrews is a great manuscript. And it is solely focused on the fact that Christ is better. Christ is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than anything that has ever been because He is better. He's better than the old priesthood, isn't He? Whether that's the patriarchal priesthood or the Levitical priesthood, He's better than all things. His Christianity is better than Judaism. It's better than Islam or any other religion in the world. His is better. And that's why we should never drift away. Just like all the books of the Bible have an immediate context and they have a universal context, so does Hebrews. The letter written to the Hebrew Christians has a universal context, uh, or rather an immediate context. They were in danger of drifting away. And just as Chase read for us, the writer admonished them in, in certain ways so that they wouldn't drift away. But the universal context is one in which it can apply to us as well. And so we need to dig that out. We need to look at that. If we can't make some kind of an application for us today, then the writing is useless to us. The universal context is better is that Christ is better than anything that can be offered to us today. Whether that's a false religion, whether it is anything that comes between us and God. That could be anything, couldn't it? That could be fame and fortune, it could be reputation, it could be any sort of thing, friend, family, loved ones, it could be anything. But Christ is better, so don't drift away. Those who received this letter were Jewish converts to Christianity. Nationally they were Jews, religiously they were Jews, and they they converted to Christianity, but they were in danger of drifting away and going back to that old law. And so the writer puts them in mind to do certain things. They were enduring hardships at that time because of their beliefs. And they were tempted to go back. It was just easier, right? But Christ is better than the easy road. That's what the letter is about. They were in danger of falling away. They were being tempted. But that's how Satan works. You see, they were, they had begun their journey toward heaven, but for some reason, they had quit. They had stopped. They were no longer on that journey because things were getting rough for them. Sometimes they were losing focus. It was impacting their lives. But like Paul's readers so many years ago, who did not begin their journey to quit, we are just like them. We began our journey to finish. Not to get halfway through, 
Who runs a race and halfway through says, that's good enough? Who enters the Olympics or enters the World Championships or whatever kind of organization is putting on the competition and, and they get halfway around the track and they say, well, that's good enough, just give me my medal. You won't get a medal. You're not going to get the laurel leaves placed upon the head. We have to finish the course. We have to do that. Because this life presents so many obstacles to us. And it presents a bunch of obstacles that impedes our progress and our growth in Christ. We have to be on guard. We have to be careful. We must show a steadfast faithfulness to Him and not drift away. We have to be faithful to the One who gave His life so that we might live. What a gift. What a gift. You know, yesterday... Blakeland and I went over to the to the miracle field and and we met with Ron and Mary and Holly and Greg and and Amy and and John O and we watched John John play baseball. And I have a I have the best little 6 second video of him hitting the ball that you've ever seen. But let me tell you what impacted me as I watched that. I loved watching those children Big smiles on their face. Boy, they'd hit the ball. And look, they ran however far they wanted to run. If they wanted that to be a home run, let me tell you something, it was a home run. If they wanted to run over to second base and then cut back to the dugout, they still scored and they were happy about it. Let me tell you something that impressed me. The coach for John John's team is a veteran. He lost both his legs in Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere. And he's out there teaching those children you can overcome. You know, he's out there with a bunch of children who have a range of disabilities. And he's showing them what they need to do, how they need to be steadfast. And we need to understand, and I was talking with Greg, I said, it breaks my heart to see a young man like that in his middle 20s, 26, something like that. I said, I believe most people look at a veteran and they're sorry for something that happened to them, and their heart goes out, and they and they wish they could do something that that hadn't happened when they lose their legs or their arms or their eyesight or something. I said, but let me tell you how I try to look at that, and I don't think most people look at it this way, not because we don't want to, but because we just haven't thought about it. That young man lost his legs for me, to protect me, and everyone else. We need to look at what Christ did for us. We read the gospel accounts and we read about Christ being scourged and put on the cross and being mistreated and spat on and and having His beard pulled out and, and being struck and blindfolded and mocked and stripped naked and all those terrible things. And we think, boy, that's pitiful. I wish that hadn't had to happen to Him, but it happened for me. I need to look at it like that. I need to understand what He did, He did for me. He died so I could live. So why would I ever want to drift away? Why would I ever want to drift away? I have to be steadfast. That ought to be the number one priority in my life. We have to take to heart the encouragement and the teaching preserved for us in the Bible for our salvation. 
Just like our brethren who were living under trying times 2,000 years ago, we live under trying times today. It's a little bit different. But if we're going to stay the course, we must react to that instruction that has been left for us. Brethren, that's our first point. We must react. The writer begins his exhortation with, Therefore, or for this reason based upon what was said in the previous chapter, we must give the most or the more earnest heed. We better heed what we've learned. We better give the more earnest heed to those truths delivered to us by Christ. Why? Because of what He did. He did that for me personally. Let's not get caught up in this idea of he collected, he died collectively for the world, and he did die for the world, but the, but the world is, is composed in the exact same way the church is composed. It's composed of individuals. He died for every individual who ever lived, ever who would live, and I am one of those individuals, and I need to look at it that way. When we look at the works of the church, we think, well, the church will do it. Let's not institutionalize the church. Let's understand, yes, the church will do it, and I'm a member of the church. I make up the church, so I may have to do that. Right? It may be something I'm uncomfortable with. But I yet may still have to do that for the cause of Christ. The word heed here is very specific in what it means. It does not indicate giving normal attention. That's not, that's not what the indication. Instead, it demands maximum attention. Maximum attention. Pay close attention to what's going on. Was, was telling some just a few moments ago about uh, Nicole removed the stitches from my knee after I had uh, got into it with the chainsaw and, and she was clipping the stitches, and boy, everything went really well, and she got to the last stitch, or the one before the last stitch, and she clipped it, she started pulling it through, and I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're pulling the knot through. To pull it the other way. She said, I clipped, I clipped it. And I said, trust me. Let me tell you something, I was paying attention. I was watching that. You couldn't have distracted me in any way. I was watching that spot, and I said, trust me, you're pulling the knot through. Pull it the other way. She said, I can't get to it. I said, well, figure it out. Because that's how it's got to go. It's like a fish hook. You get the knot down, it's got to keep going that way. See, take heed means give maximum attention. You focus. You pay attention. What should we focus on in this life? Getting to heaven. Why? Because Christ gave us that opportunity. Let's not mess up the opportunity He gave us in the way He gave it to us. We see that same thought described to us in the commandment study to show thyself approved before God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling properly the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 If we handle properly the word of truth, we must earnestly heed what it says. That's part of handling it properly, isn't it? If we don't heed it, we're not handling it properly. Deuteronomy 4, 9, Moses exhorted the children of Israel prior to going into the promised land saying this, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, 
unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews stated. He just said it a little differently. Don't drift away. He said, Paul, uh, uh, Moses said, Take heed to thyself, lest you forget those things. Don't allow it to drift away. Don't drift away. Keep a focus on it. To the Corinthians, Paul warned, Take heed unto thyself. Take heed unto thyself. He also told them, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. I don't like heights. Let me tell you something. When I'm on a ladder and I'm doing something up high, I'm taking heed of where I am. Because I don't want to fall. That means maximum attention. Maximum attention. I've learned over the years to do that. Now, a few years ago, I wasn't so good at taking heed in dangerous situations. Boy, I'm a lot different now than I was then. It's not just enough, though, to take heed. To take heed to what is right. We have to heed what is right. We have to do something. Right? That which is right is that which the Hebrews writer stated was to be heard. We have to take heed and we have to hear what God has said to us. Of course, he's talking about the teachings of Jesus. He's talking about the commandments left for us by which we are to live. The promises of the gospel, the warnings, the commandments, all that make up the gospel of Christ, the good news of salvation to man, we must be willing to hear those things. How many of us like hearing that we're wrong? Let me tell you something, I hate hearing I'm wrong. But I've kind of gotten used to it over the years. Kind of gotten used to it. Because I've been wrong about an awfully lot of things. And being wrong isn't necessarily the end of anything, is it? It might be the beginning if we'll take that and heed and hear what we've been told and change what we're doing. It might just be the beginning of something great. And that's what we need to do. That's what we're told to do. We have to be willing to hear that. And that's not just a mere acknowledgement, right? I've been told I'm wrong before about something and, and I just decided not to change it. Am I hearing? Am I taking heed? I may acknowledge, oh, that's correct. I, I have been wrong about that, but I don't care to change it. See, that's not what the writer's talking about. He, he says we have to hear it. We have to consider it. We have to, to put it into our minds. We have to digest it. We have to change. We have to format what God has said ourselves into what He has said. Not change what God said to fit me. In the first verse of our text, the writer demands maximum attention to the doctrine. Take heed. But he also encourages us to to be timely in our acceptance and our obedience. He encourages that, doesn't he? It's not wise to put off this desired reaction to the message. Why? Lest we drift away. Now this, this phrase, drift away, the King James Version says, lest at any time we should let them slip. That word drift away, that's what, that's what it means. To slip. 
In fact, in antiquity, they used to use this phrase to refer to a ring slipping off and maybe not even noticing that it's gone. It also was used often to refer to a ship slipping its anchor and then just drifting off out of its harbor. Neither one of those intentional, right? What do we learn from that? We do not have to stand up and deny the faith. We do not have to commit some sort of a gross sin. We can just simply drift away. We're not intending on drifting away, but we're not giving heed, we're not paying attention, and we just kind of drifted away. We're not living in an overtly sinful lifestyle, but you know when we do not handle the Scripture properly, we're not obedient, we are living in a sinful lifestyle, we just don't realize it maybe. And so we have to be careful not to just get comfortable and begin to drift away. If the writer's point is to cause a reaction on the part of the reader, what is the reaction for which he is looking? I think it's pretty clear that the reaction the inspired writer is expecting and looking for is that the reader would receive the information. That's our second point. That they would receive the information. Sometimes we forget just how fortunate we are that God has revealed Himself to us, I think. I don't think we do it intentionally at all. I think if someone were to ask any of us, are we thankful that we have the Bible, we would say, absolutely I'm thankful to have the Bible. Why? Why do we need it? Well, we can't know the mind of God. God's mind is not our mind. And so the only way we can understand the mind of God and know what He wants is if He reveals to us what He wants us to do. And He's done that. He's done that in the form of the Bible. And so we need to to be appreciative of that. And I know that we are. But what is so important about what God has said that... That would make us want to receive it. Well, it's a matter of life and death, isn't it? It's a matter of life and death. Some of us have been in in a position to where, you know, if things didn't go properly for us, we, we might not have made it through whatever the situation was. And that, that was very important to us, wasn't it? We were, we were paying attention if we were able. If we were at ourselves, we were paying attention. We were very concerned. We were, we were heeding and we were hearing and, and we gave a reaction, and I guarantee you we received what the instruction was so that we might be able to overcome. And the writer here incorporates the use of comparison again to show the superiority of Christ over the law. And he goes back to Mount Sinai. He goes back to when the law was given to Moses, and it was given by the hand of angels. God delivered that information to the angels, and the angels delivered that information to Moses, and it was given by divine authority. But what was the delivery method again? Angels. What are angels? Created beings. Holy messengers of God used for His purposes. They have personalities. They are people in the sense that we're people. We have an eternal part of us. They don't have bodies. They manifested themselves at times in the form of men. 
And if, if that message was unalterable, it was unchangeable, it was to be steadfast for the period of time that it was to last, and it was brought by the hands of angels, how much greater is Christ's law that was brought to us by Him personally, the very Son of God, deity in the form of man? What are we going to do? Are we going to have a reaction to it? Are we going to accept His being revealed to us? That's what the writer expected. That's what he expects us to do. And and he makes the point, if you don't accept it, what are you going to do? There's nothing coming later that's going to make up for, for your not accepting Christ. Later in the letter, he is even stronger in his admonishment, Hebrews 10, 26. He says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth... There remains no more sacrifice for sins. That's kind of been misunderstood over the years, just a little bit. What does that mean, there remains no more sacrifice for sin? That if we sin willfully, that the sacrifice won't cover our sins? That's been taught. Some people believe that if if we intentionally say, well, I'm leaving God, I'm never going back to Him, that we can't be forgiven of that because there's no sacrifice for that sin. That's not what that means. The blood of Christ can forgive any sin of which we will repent. There's no sin we can commit of which we repent that God will not forgive us. So what is the writer speaking of? He's saying you're leaving to go back to this law that came down on Mount Sinai, delivered by the hands of angels to the man Moses, became known as the law of Moses. And what did that law look forward to? It looked forward to a sacrifice that was to come and you want to go back to that law that looked for a sacrifice? Well, hey, the sacrifice came. There's not another sacrifice. There remains no other sacrifice. He came. There's not going to be another. That's how much greater Christ is than a law delivered by the hands of a mere angel to the man Moses. This law came to us directly by Jesus. He delivered the message from heaven. Not some angel. He's impressing upon the readers that that we're going to receive something from God. That's a fact, isn't it? We will receive, according to what our reaction is, we will receive something from God because He's a just and He's a fair God. If we abide in His teachings, we'll receive salvation. If we don't abide in His teachings, the simple truth is we'll receive damnation. Paul told those at Rome, Romans 11, 21 through 22, and he was very clear in his statement. He said, For if God spared not the natural branches, he's talking about the Jewish religion. Take heed lest He also spare not thee. If He did not spare His chosen people, Do you think He's going to spare the Gentile who who in Romans, in this context, was grafted into the natural tree? The Gentile was grafted into God's people. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in His goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. He's talking to, to Gentiles, those in Rome. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody is in need of the same thing. 
The same thing affects everybody. Sin will cause everyone to lose their souls if we allow it. There's only one way to get to heaven, that's through Christ and His church. And if you think that He's going to let the Gentile escape when He didn't let His own people escape that He had chosen, you are mistaken, is what the writer's saying. He'll cut you off. We must always remember, one way or the other, we're going to receive a reward based on our actions. Based on our reactions. And God revealed that to us, that there will be a reward. Now what's His desire? What's the reward He wants to give? Well, that we all get to heaven. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that we should come to repentance. He wants us all to be saved. That's the reward He wants to hand out. But He'll give us what we ask for. He'll give us what we ask for. The other side to God's justice is the requirement of punishment to the unfaithful. He's required to do that. He is placed upon Himself because of His nature, because of His justness, because of His rightness, that those who are guilty will be punished. Paul explained, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, we determine how we'll be rewarded. We determine that. It's not possible simply to ignore God. That's not possible. We can't ignore We may think we're ignoring Him. But it's not possible to ignore God and not be justly rewarded. And the writer continued his discourse, or as he did, he wanted the reader to react to this letter. He wanted them to receive the gospel of Christ. And he wanted them to realize the plain truth revealed. That's our third point. He asked the question, In the very beginning of verse 3, how shall we escape? That's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is, we will not. We will not escape if we reject Christ. If we neglect the superior message delivered by Christ Himself, there is no escape. Through our study, it is very clear to us that God expects a reaction. He expects us to realize or to receive His message. But we must realize that we cannot escape judgment. We better leave here today understanding that if we're not what we ought to be, we will not escape judgment. Later in the letter, he described the events of the last day. He described the things surrounding that and he said it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.31 The whole point is, Christ sacrificed more than we can ever imagine. He sacrificed more than we ever could. So let us not neglect the opportunity He's given to us. Let us never drift away. The word translated neglect in our text is the same word used in Matthew 22.5. When those people were invited to the wedding feast and they made light of the invitation, They mocked the invitation. The invitation didn't mean anything to them. They came up with every kind of an excuse not to go. And when the the immediate readers tried to go back to the old law, they were making light of the new law. It didn't mean anything to them. 
What an outrage not to be thankful to the king. Paul uh, addressed or, or, or made that same sentiment, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-8, when he talked about the Lord returning and His angels taking vengeance on those that did not obey the gospel and did not know God. They didn't bother to try to know God because they made light of it. Those who did know God made light of it and didn't want to obey. But if, if we're going to escape the punishment of hell, we better be eager. We better be eager to be faithful to God. And our eagerness is the result of so great a salvation. That is synonymous with the things that we have heard, Hebrews 2.1. Synonymous with that. That's the great salvation, isn't it? The things that we've heard, which is what God has spoken in the last days through His Son, the things that we have heard, the message delivered. No longer was the message coming from uh, another source, or another medium rather. The source has always been God, but it didn't come by angels this time. It came by, by His Son. Now these brethren that read this, they were convinced of the validity of the old law. They understood that it was valid. But they had decided to dis- dismiss the validity of the new law. The writer said that message is better because it comes directly from Jesus. You know, when, when it was confirmed in what the writer's talking about, what Jesus did, He did not do in secret. It was not done in a corner. It was done in open for all to hear and to witness. Now for us who were not there, we, we didn't witness it personally, but we can hear from those who did. And the eyewitness testimony guarantees for us the truthfulness of the gospel. Finally, being certified by God through the miracles performed by the apostles. So why would we ever allow ourselves to drift away from the gospel? What does it mean not to drift away? What does it mean to heed, to always be diligent in making sure that we're going to get to heaven? That indicates some things we have to do. First of all, we have to obey the gospel, and we know what that is. We talk about it all the time, what the plan of salvation is. Let us never forget it, and let us always repeat it. Faith in Jesus is a prerequisite. Repentance of all past sins, that means I am sorry enough to stop doing what I've done in the past that God does not want me to do. And that may simply be that I just wasn't following after Him. doesn't mean I'm a terrible person. By the world's standards, I may not cheat or steal or or be unfaithful to a spouse or anything like that, but I'm just simply not following God, Now I have to repent of that. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God, be immersed in water, so my sins can be washed away to live faithfully. But then it also means I have to do something after I have become a Christian. That means I have to work in the kingdom. I have to be willing to get out and do the things that God has asked me to do. Why, why would I expect God, uh, Jesus to have had to have done things? The apostles had to have done things. The first century church had to have done things for which many of them lost their lives. And I can just sit inside the church building and do nothing? That doesn't make sense, does it? God doesn't expect that. He thinks that's ridiculous for me to believe something like that. He expects me to get out and do those things even though they're difficult that would help to grow the church. In our time, just as in the time of those who received this letter, we must encourage each other to greater faithfulness. Greater faithfulness. 
That's what we need in the church today. That's what we need in the world today is greater faithfulness. We've been instructed and we've been encouraged to be faithful and to remain that way. And let's listen at the writings of this great man, whoever he was, to never drift away. Jesus has never lied to us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's never mistreated us. So do not drift away. And that's the message that I believe that the inspired writer was delivering to us, to them at that time and to us today. And it's one we must heed. It's one we have to hear. We have to react to it. We have to receive it. We have to realize what God says is what He means. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you've done something, you've drifted away, come back to God today. Don't, don't drift out into the sea like the ship without an anchor, just kind of being tossed to and fro. And, and Paul or uh, James talked about that in his letter. You know, we need to have a clear direction. And we need to be faithful and we need to be working hard. And we've got a lot of opportunities here at White Oak to do that in the next coming weeks. Let's take advantage of that. But if you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, do that as we stand and as we sing.